truly appreciate that. Please continue to support our ministry. Also a reminder that this program 
is also available as a podcast. And so from every Tuesday, we will load this onto Anchor and other streaming platforms. So if you'd like to have other people listen to the program or you missed something, you're more than welcome to go and um, listen to the program on podcast on Anchor. Also connect with us via Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash testify ministry and let us know what you like about the program give us some feedback um, and even if you would like to be a guest on our program we welcome that too because we like to hear from our listeners yes so we are in june as i said and this month in south africa we celebrate youth month which is a commemorative um, opportunity for us in terms of what happened in 1976, which was the uprising. And we celebrate the youth that actually dedicated their lives for the cause that they believed in. Also this month, we celebrate Father's Day, uh, a time when we look at the importance of a father's role in the life of his children and in the life of the community in general. And so I have a guest this evening who's going to talk to us a bit about that, the youth the and fatherhood, and also what he does in the community with the youth. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Freddie Trout. Good evening, Freddie. Good evening, uh, Ingrid. So uh, nice to be back again. Lovely. Yes, Freddie was a guest on the program a few years ago. And as I said to Freddie, you know, he has to tell his story again because we've got new listeners and also because there's always factors of our story that people haven't heard or need to reconnect to. So, Freddie, please tell the listeners who you are. Give a little bit of a background um, and what it is that you do. Okay, so right at the moment, um, I am married. I've uh, been married for almost 15 years. Uh, me and my wife, we have three kids. Um, I've got some other kids as well uh, from previous relationships. Um, I've been living in Jaws now for the past 15 years. Uh, I'm originally from Cape Town, born and bred in Manenburg. And um, I won't say proudly Manenburg, but uh, born and bred in, in Manenburg. Um, I uh, was basically born in a, in a family of um, drug addicts. You know, they were a lot of addiction, a lot of uh, bloodshed, a um, lot of uh, illegitimacy. Um, my grandparents were both alcoholics. Um, they raised me. They had eight children. They were all either alcoholics or drug addicts. Um, I had four uncles. My four uncles all belonged um, to gangs. And um, I was basically exposed to, to drugs and gangsterism at a very, very young age. I remember my youngest uncle was a drug dealer. So he exposed me to drugs at a very young age and um, also to, to gangsterism and violence. Um, later on, we moved to Mitchell's Plain. Um, when I was six years old, we moved to Mitchell's Plain. And uh, we were, at that time, we were three brothers, um, of which I was the eldest, I'm still the eldest. And, um, you know, my, my parents moved to Mitchell's Plain to give us a better life and, or at least tried to give us a better life, but they continued, you know, with the drinking over the weekends and, you know, the fighting and the friends over and the brying. And, you know, we were, we were exposed to all those things. You know, we as kids, we were just, you know, sort of put in the room, watch TV, they give us some sweeties and we just keep quiet and they go on with the drinking and the brying and they, you know, later on it's the fighting. And, um, you know, it continued like that. And, and, you know, as kids looking up to their parents, you know, we, you, you sort of think it's normal, you know, uh, that's how life is supposed to be. You're supposed to enjoy yourself like that. Um, I remember my father, you know, he would, he would, he would, he sort of uh, had to reward himself for the week of hard work, you know, and then uh, continues until Sunday. You know, Monday morning, there's the bubbles and everything, and then it's tablets, and then they are bending and off to work, you know, for the headache. Um, and I continued, I continued for that, like that for many years, you know, and um, I remember at the age of uh, 12, 13 years old, you know, um, because we didn't have parents that, that constantly told us, I'm proud of you, or I love you, and give us hugs and stuff like that, you know, we, we never had those things, you know. Um, but we all, you know, had a low self-esteem, you know, identity crisis. We didn't really know who we were or not solid in who we were. 
And then later on, you know, my youngest brother came. Um, I was 10 years old when he was born. And he was he was the unplanned baby. You know, they my parents didn't plan him, but obviously God planned him. Um, and and he came, you know, and, and he was the spoiled, he was the spoiled one, you know. And I moved out of the house when I was 15 years old. Um, I started I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 13. Um, then I moved, I went on to the Dacha, and then I went to Mandrakes. And um, just before 15, I left school because I got shot and stabbed. Um, and uh, I, I vowed to take revenge, you know. So at the age of 15, I was out of school and um, I walked into a gang and joined a gang uh, to get revenge on these guys that hurt me. And um, I got my revenge, but, but, you know, as soon as I started getting into, this, into these activities that the gang did, you know, when I, when I, when I was, I, I remember my initiation day, these, these guys told me that we are your friends, we are your family, you know, we are your brothers and, and we will protect you. We will, we will provide for you and we will die with you, you know, and it gave you a sense of belonging, you know, so, so you, yeah, you are accepted without, without any, um, you know, any conditions, you, you were accepted freely. And these guys, you know, they sort of loved you and, you know, it's always handshaking and they're always, you know, high five or whatever, fist pumping is, you know, those are things we weren't used to. So you, I felt really, you know, this is where I belong. You know, and uh, these guys, you know, they say they're going to die with me. You know, and as, um, you know, unknowing, you know, as it went in, as I went into this thing, um, uh, the, you know, the things that we had to do, I had to do everything that they did. I had to start going to clubs. We, we started sleeping around. We started robbing people, breaking into houses, stealing cars. You know, we had to do gang fights. Um, and it just went from bad to worse. You know, then it was after the mandrakes, it was... It was worse drugs, you know, it was more drinking, it was constant clubbing and it was ecstasy and it was crack cocaine, you know, and ended up in Tuk as well, you know, and um, later on it, went on, it went on like that for 10 years. Um, I, I became the leader of that gang when I was 17. Um, by the age of 19, I've, I've been to prison already two times, three times. I was the father of two daughters already at 19 years old. And... Um, you know, I met a lady when I was 19. She told me that God's got a plan for my life. Uh, up until that point, I never even heard about God. I never even heard about going to church. My family didn't know church. We, uh, I haven't even been on the inside of a church at that point. And this lady, you know, she constantly, God gave her a burden for me. You know, and she, but not only for me, I believe it wasn't only for me. She was targeting all the gang leaders, actually. You know, because she, I don't know, there was like an iron lady, you know. She, 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 she was a force to be reckoned with, you know, she had this authority and she was a big, bold woman. So, um, you know, you, you sort of, you know, respect her, you know, and she talks to you, she looks you in the eyes, you, you, you can't look in her eyes, she scares you, you know, and, and she still does today. When I, when I look at her, she still scares me with that look. And uh, I love her to bits. And she told me, you know, God's got a plan for my life. And she, for the next 10 years, kept nagging me, asking me to go to church. And, you know, I went to church with her a few times and that's where I heard about heaven and hell and, and stuff like that, you know, but never really, um, you know, take any note of it, never took it seriously because, you know, I, I, was, le I, I was learning to depend on myself. Um, my brothers were with me, so, um, you know, they're gonna protect me. So, um, you know, you just sort of do what you have to do to survive. You know, and you from day to day, it's the same things. You know, you get high, you go rob people, you get some money, you smoke again. And, and, and it went like that for 10 years, you know. And at the end of those 10 years, I was literally, you know, everybody turned their backs on me. But my parents, my family, everyone turned their backs on me. Um, I've been to prison six times by then. Um, you know, even, even the prison didn't want me there anymore. Uh, I was causing too much trouble. <laughs> they, yeah, I remember with my last case, they sent me to a different prison because they didn't want me in Paulsway anymore because I was causing too much trouble. And um, you know, I, I, I always say if I, if I had to, if I had to serve that last sentence, that God did an absolute miracle. Um, I was sentenced to 17 years in prison, and if I, if I had to serve that sentence, I would have been. 
would have I would have come out of prison two years ago. Um, and and God just did an absolute miracle. That case was thrown out. Some somehow the, the docket got lost, and, and there was no record of the case and everything. So I was basically a free man. Um, but you know, not learning my lesson, got back into the gang, and you know, I've been I've, I've been shot, I've been stabbed, I've I've, I've been on life support in Khrushchev, and the friends were never there. You know, they they these very same brothers. They never came to visit me in prison. Never wrote me a letter. Never made a phone call. Even when I was in the hospital on life support, they wouldn't even come and visit. You know, but as soon as you come out, they sort of they, you know, um, as soon as you are okay and you can, you know, they can benefit from what you do, then um, then they're there again. You know, so I learned the hard way that um, you know your friends, you, you become like the people that you spend your time with, and and um, I had to make a decision. You know, at 27 years old. I was standing on the on the corner of my high school, and I was um, basically begging for money. And the clothes I had in my bag is all I owned. That's all I had to my name. I was eating out of dustbins. I was sleeping on the bridges, sleeping in the schoolyards or wherever, in the park or wherever I find a safe spot. And um, life got tough, you know. And I had to make a decision because this woman told me ten years before that you're going to come to a crossroad in your life where you have to choose either life or death. And, and she said to me, when you get to that crossroad and you don't know where to choose, you phone me. And, you know, I had to get hold of this lady and um, I got hold of her phone number and I called her and they were, they, they still stay in the same house in, in uh, Otri, in Cape Town. And um, after I phoned her, she was there within like 20 minutes. She was there with, I remember it was the Toyota Venture. Um, and she, you know, she said to me, let's go pray in the backyard in the, in the, I had a windy house in my parents' yard and I, was, I mean, I've never been scared of my life of dying, but that night I knew if I died and I was scared and I said to her, I'd rather let you pray in the car. So on the back seat of a Toyota Venture on the 19th of August in the year 2000, I gave my life to the Lord. And that night, there was literally 12 years of tears that came because, you know, you, you, you grow up in a gang and you sort of, you learn to toughen up that the man doesn't cry. Um, it's a sign of weakness, especially if you're a gang leader. It's a sign of weakness. Um, so, you know, that night it was 12 years of crying, 12 years of snot and tears. And I, I think that woman threw that jacket away afterwards, you know, because she held me, you know, and I always say I found Jesus Christ in a hug, you know, um, because nobody would come close to me. Nobody would hug me, but she... Even though I smelled terrible, even though I looked terrible, she took me in her arms and she hugged me. And that is where um, I found Jesus. And I, I, I can't say the next few years was easy. It was very, very difficult. The next five years was up and down, up and down. And, you know, I had to run away and I had to get out of Cape Town. And, um, and then I came to George 15 years ago. And I found, I always say, um, I got clean from drugs, but in Georgia, I found my freedom 15 years ago. Okay. Awesome, Freddie. Wow. What a powerful story. Um, and I know that that is the story that's led you to where you are now. And we're going to tell our listeners about that after we come back from the song. And believe it or not, the song that we've actually got lined up links so beautifully with your story. And it is called Break Every Chain by Jesus culture. And that's exactly what you had to go through, Freddie, was to break every chain that was holding you captive in the lifestyle that you had caught up in, in from your past, from your childhood. So dear listeners, I'm sure that you won't listen to the song in the same light again in the future, because you will remember Freddie's story, Break Every Chain by Jesus culture. There is power 
Welcome back, dear listeners. You're listening to Testify on Eden FM. My guest this evening is Freddie Trout. And Freddie's just told us the, I don't know if you call it amazing, remarkable, scary, um, just overwhelming story about his youth, about being caught up in gangs, in what he did, um, and how he was caught up in this lifestyle and being held captive until someone came and said to him that there is a way out. 10 years earlier, and when he cried out for help, she was there. And he took the choice to choose life. Freddie, you said you, you then made this decision. God led you through a series of events to George. And here you've come to George. What did the Lord have in store for you? And how is that linked to what you do today at the, the organization that you manage? Well, you know, when I, when I, when I first came to George, I... I didn't know anybody here. I had no family. Um, I had a girlfriend back then. Um, we both worked for the first rent group. And she was transferred to Zorch. And I saw that as my opportunity to, to live in a different city and just break away from everything. Because, you know, for five years, it's been up and down, up and down. And, you know, I didn't really grow in my relationship with the Lord because I was concentrating on so much of getting away and you know running away from from my past um, until I got here and and we we stayed together for about two weeks and then um, for some reason she broke up with me and then I was alone I still remember uh, planning how I'm gonna kill her you know and kill myself uh, because I, I felt I couldn't live without this girl because we were gonna get married and all this you know and yeah my whole world was crumbling. So um, I started looking for a place to stay. I got a job here and um, I stayed at the taxi rank. Um, you know, there's a house there was, uh, I rented a room there. And these people, this lady that ran the house, she, they had a cell group, you know, and in Cape Town, I never, you know, we didn't have cell groups back then. So she invited me to the cell group, but obviously I didn't want to go, you know, because I didn't know these people. And um, at work, I met some guys that are, befriended me and invited me one weekend to come and visit them in Borgets. And when I got there, there was a table full of beers, you know, and I said to these guys, no, I don't drink. But, you know, you, you, you spend enough time with them. And then later on, you even use the Bible to justify what you're going to do, you know. And um, about three weeks later, I said, you know, the Bible doesn't say it as a sin to drink, you know. So maybe one, one glass is not going to hurt, you know. So started drinking again and then uh, got way off the, off the road. And then um, the one night that I did decide to go to the cell group, that night, the cell group leader, she was in the middle of a teaching and she stopped and she looked at me like where I was hiding, you know, I was hiding there right in the corner there behind everyone where nobody can see me. And she pointed a finger towards me and she said to me, listen, you young man, I just want to tell you that God said, I must tell you now that it doesn't matter how you think you got to George. He brought you here for a specific reason. And uh, you are way off course. So you better get up and get back in line. You know, I, I, obviously, I didn't know what she was talking about. But two weeks later, you know, on a Monday, that was the 2nd of August, I fell through the ceiling at work. I was just sobering up, you know, the afternoon, 3 o'clock, I was just sobering up from the Sunday nights drinking. And I fell through the ceiling and I was in hospital for three weeks. And it was these people in the cell group that didn't know me from a bar of soap that, that came to the hospital, encouraging me every day and praying for me. And obviously I was bitter. I was angry at God. But coming out of that hospital after, you know, I broken. And that is where God did my, the most of my training. The most of the, the, the things that I, that I know today came in that time. Um, those few months was my, I always say it was my training months. Um, I, I deepened in my relationship with God. I, I had no choice. I didn't, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't move. I couldn't walk properly. So, so I had a lot of time on my hands. So I started reading the Bible and I started reading books and I started listening to teachings, and, you know, and my understanding just deepened, you know, and then for the first time I listened to a, to a, to a teaching from Benny Hinn. Um, calling, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit and how you can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I never knew that. 
uh, in Cape Town, I didn't, I didn't hear about the Holy Spirit as a person that you can have a relationship with. They always called it it, you know, or a force, you know. And and so one night I said, Holy Spirit, I don't think I know you like I'm supposed to know you, but I what I would like to know you. I would like to meet you. And I sat there for 20 minutes and nothing happened. And just when I wanted to get up, this presence filled my room, you know, and I asked him, Holy Spirit, did you just show up? And he said, I've always been here, but you've never bothered, bothered to talk to me. And that is the day when I never looked back again. I never looked back again. I, I deepened even more in my relationship. The Bible made more sense. The Bible became alive to me. Um, I, I started hearing God's voice more clearly. And um, as soon that year, December, uh, I found a job, got a job in a courier company. And the next year, 2006, I said to the Lord in the beginning of the year, but I would like to do something for him full time. And um, I actually asked him for five things. And that was one of it. And getting a wife was the, the fifth thing on my list. And I said, before the end of this year, I would like to have a wife, not a girlfriend. I want a wife. And the 2nd of August that year, I started full-time ministry. Pastor was born. People Against Substance Abuse was born. And um, December the 10th, I got married. So God gave me every one of those five things on my list. And um, that is where the ministry started. Yeah, that's where the ministry started. Um, I sort of, um, you know, my attention was drawn to, to our youth, you know, young people that, that's living as if there's no future, as if there's no hope, you know, um, throwing their lives away and drinking and, and smoking drugs, you know. And God sort of said to me one day, but you can do something about this, you know. And I said, what can I do? You know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just a shy person, you know, uh, don't know this place. And he said, well, you've got a story to tell, you know. So, and I said, where do I start? And he said, go to the schools, you know. And that is when um, pastor wasn't really, didn't have a name yet, but there was a ministry. I knew I had to do something. And I started, just started doing it. I started talking in schools, started to, telling my story. And then, you know, the, raid, the, the, the newspaper heard about it. And then they um, you know, also did interviews with me and they came to the schools we visited. And that is where the whole thing just blossomed. You know, and more and more people started hearing about it. I got invited to more and more places and churches to share my story. You know, and um, we just never looked back to this since then. Awesome, Freddie, just awesome. And that is how God works, you know. He uses our stories. He uses the journey that we've gone through in life to give others hope and to give others a future. And tonight, this is another platform for you to do so, telling your story. Again, the next song is so adequately linked to what you've been saying. And this one is No Longer Slave by Bethel Music. And I believe truly that's what God has done for you, Freddie, is he's broken all those chains. You are no longer a slave and you are able to use your story to provide freedom for others. Enjoy the song, dear listeners. No Longer Slave by Bethel Music. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have come. Yeah. 
Welcome back, dear listeners. You're listening to Testify on Eden FM. I am Ingrid Carly Moses, and my guest this evening is Freddie Trout. Freddie's been telling us about his story and how, through a series of events and his life journey, God led him to into ministry and into an organization which he runs now called People Against Substance Abuse. How he can use his story to be able to motivate young people in schools in the community. Freddie, so PASA was established. You've been running it now for several years, since 2006, you mentioned. Um, what's yes. been happening? How are you? How is the program being implemented in communities? And um, what kind of support do you need? Basically, we started by just you know, going to schools. And in 2008, my youngest brother joined me as well, also after a 10-year addiction. And um, he came to George with the express um, idea of, of he, he, was, he was serving a suspended sentence um, for a year. So he decided to come to George. 
uh, to stay out of trouble. Um, and but God had other plans. You know, he was just going to stay for that year, and then he was going to go back to Cape Town. But three months down the line in George, he got radically saved. I mean, he jumped up in church one morning and said, I have to give my life to the Lord right now. You know, and he interrupted the preacher and the pastor said, wait, wait, wait. And he said, no, right now. And uh, so after he gave his life to the Lord, um, I, got him, I, I baptized him in 2009 and he started ministering with me in the schools. And we've been inseparable since then. And, um, you know, we, we, we started just telling our stories. Later on, my cousin came and another cousin came and, you know, this, this team just grew. And, and, and as, we, as the team grew, so did the ministry, you know. And um, I remember back then, we didn't even have a, a bank account or a computer or anything. So in 2009, um, in 2000, end of 2008, we, um, I, read, uh, I applied with social development to have PASA registered as an NPO. And that registration happened in, in, in February 2009. And um, so we started as an organization, you know, going into the schools and we finally had a name and we had a logo and everything. And, and eventually 2010, you know, we, we moved from just talking in a school to basically teaching life skills, you know, because a, a lot of kids in a household where there's drugs and alcohol abuse and and all the stuff, you know, and they, and, and getting high is a way of escape, you know, if, uh, smoking drugs or something, it, 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 it sort of takes you out of that circumstances for that moment while you're on that trip. Um, so the reality, you know, they're trying to escape the reality, they're trying to, uh, their the, the self-image uh, are, are, are basically influencing the choices that they make. Society is influencing their choices. Um, rebelliousness, you know, boredom, all those things are, is, are things that are, in, are influencing their choices. So we, we um, adopted a program called Bound. And, and this program is basically to teach young kids that, you know, there's other ways of, of, of dealing with your reality, dealing with yourself, your low esteem, um, dealing with boredom, dealing with um, um, society. You know, there's other things that you can do uh, besides being rebellious, you take that energy, you pour it into your schoolwork and you get nice results and you get a college application and you can go to college, you know, and you can do something with your life. We basically, this program is basically teaching. We, we don't talk about drugs. We talk, the, the, the program is basically a 12 lesson program, 12 lessons of an hour each. But out of those 12 hours, we talk about drugs for about 30 minutes. You know, because the emphasis is not on the drugs. The emphasis is on everything that leads to a decision to take drugs. You know, and and how we can how we can recognize those those things that triggers you to use drugs and use something else to counter that that trigger and do something else that will add value to your life. You know, and and we adopted this program in 2010. We got we received training for it. And in 2011, I received training to, to teach people the, 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 the program, to train other people. And um, our dream is to have this program run in every school in South Africa, you know. And, and we later on, we moved from only in George, we moved to Mossel Bay, we moved to Neisner, to Plett, to Otsuren. Now we, we basically serve in the whole Western Cape. Um, We've got a branch in Claymont as well. There's an, a, a brilliant team there with the youth in prison, you know, and he was he was like a second um, commander in the prison gangs. And, and uh, you know, he can talk to guys that comes out of prison, you know. So so we so we started this thing and I, did, I didn't know what's going to happen. I just thought, okay, it's a good idea to, to share your story. But 15 years later, that's a ministry that are actually helping people all across the country. And because we, 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 we've moved from just the Western Cape, we've been in the Northern Cape, we've helped people from Joburg, from all over Gauteng, Pumalanga, everywhere, we've helped people. And we, you know, we run several projects to, um, to raise funds to be able to help these people because we're an organization that has never been funded. We've never received any funding from government or anything because, um, I've, I've, I've done some research and I see that there's not even one uh, corporate company in this country that supports substance abuse prevention. 
um, because they, you know, I, I don't know what their reasons are. People have their own focus areas, but there's not one that focuses on prevention of substance abuse. They will, they will do, you know, they will support intervention, treatment, and aftercare, but not prevention. So basically, they're saying we we're waiting for these guys to become druggies first, and then we will help them. You know, and it's and it's it, it becomes much more difficult once a person is addicted. You know, to to get them off. Um, so we we focus rather on the prevention side. So we have a lot of projects. We 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 do calendars. We do drug information posters. We do drug awareness drives. We we where we have booklets that we that we give out. We've got a booklet that we run every month since 2009. And I've been trying many years to get rid of this booklet, but people just say, no, you have to run this booklet. So every month we print these booklets, we distribute them. Parents can practically implement, you know, signs that they can look out for and how to do an intervention, how to choose a rehab, how to deal with somebody that's in your house that's an addict or your husband that's an addict, you know. A lot of different, every month is a different topic, you know, and I thought, you know, I would run out of topics by now, you know, but but there's there's always new topics coming. You know, we we started um, I've started developing a, a anti-bullying program also now a few months ago, which I've, we've never implemented yet. Uh, but it's not finished yet. So we're gonna we, we're gonna go into that area as well, you know, because kids also decide to use drugs because they're being bullied. You know, and it's not just kids, it's adults also. Adults are also being bullied, you know, and uh, adults are also being uh, targeted, you know, under peer pressure. You know, they also um, um, sort of bend the knee to peer pressure because if they go to a brine, all everybody's drinking, they compromise. You know, so we have all these different things and we have the calendars that we do every year. We've got, I think we're doing four calendars now, four different ones that we're doing now for next year um, and we also started another organization called um, another organization a non-profit company called Zod Youth Development which is a non-profit company and that company is going to be you know the one that's going to we're waiting for our, non, our NPC um, our, our PBO the registration we're waiting for that so that we can get funds and and source it down to other NGOs besides our, besides our own we're going to use, we're going to support another NGOs as well in the community that we've been working with for many years that we've been partnering with. So we want to support them as well. We're busy building a website where we're going to do online advertising for businesses. And that's how we're going to, um, I've, I've, I've always believed in not asking a business for a donation because um, everybody's asking, you know, it's not just me. There's another 10 organizations and I might be the 11th one. And then he's, I get the full extent of his, his anger, you know, because uh, 10, 11 people speak to him in a day. They get phone calls for donations. So I've always believed in giving a business something back, you know, for the donation that they, that they give in the form of advertising or some, some sort of exposure on the website, the advert on our website or whatever. You know? So we're launching a few publications that we, um, are going to use for all different sectors, you know, in business. We've, we've got a, 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 a vehicle dealership one. We've got one for properties. We've got one for, for medical doctors and dentists. Um, we've got a restaurant guide. We've got, you know, at your service booklet. So we've got different publications. And that is how we raise our funds, you know. And we, you know, we want to appeal to businesses to support those and, and advertise and um, because as we say it's, it's, it's from the community for the community. Awesome, Freddie. So fantastic. And I absolutely love that approach to partnerships. Just uh, last week, our program was about the power in partnerships. And that's exactly the examples that you've just given now. It's not just about asking for the money, but it's about giving something back to these businesses that actually do contribute to this very worthy organization. Our next song is called Waymaker. And we're going to play the Leland version. So Waymaker by Leland.
Welcome back, dear listeners. You're listening to Testify on Eden FM. Uh, this evening, my guest was uh, is Freddie Trout. He's from People Against Substance Abuse. And as Freddie's just said, it wasn't just about his story that's led him into this ministry, um, but also the awareness um, of what he went through, how to access the young people and be able to develop a program around prevention of substance abuse and then how that's led to the ministry now growing to such an extent that it's it's, all, it's being offered all over the Western Cape and the power in the partnerships that have been formed with the various um, corporations and entities that are contributing towards this particular nonprofit organization's ministry. Freddie, I believe also that you've got two initiatives running at the moment, and I'd like to give an opportunity very briefly um, as we close off the program to let our listeners know how can they contribute towards um, this work that you're doing in the community. I believe it's a, a golf day and a winner car competition. How can our listeners? Yes, yes. Yeah, we are very excited about the winner car competition. Um, for for only 20 rand, you can go to our website. It's www.pasacaw.co.za and you will get to the homepage and you will see there enter the winner car competition. You click on the link, it will, it will take you to another, another page and from there you can get the terms and conditions and you click on another link and you go to the ticketing site and you can buy your tickets online. Your, your tickets online will cost 26 rand 13 cents, or you can buy directly from us for 20 rand. Okay, that is the one thing. And then we have a golf day coming up on the 19th of August, and it's happening on the 20 uh, on the 19th of August at the George Golf Club. Now, the 19th of August is a very significant date because that was the date that I was that I got born again. And and um, this year, the 19th of August will be my 21 year birthday. My spiritual birthday. Well, I'll be 21 years old spiritually, and and we're going to have this golf day, and it's going to be we're going to we want to go all out. So we want businesses to come and support this golf day. You can you know sponsor a hole. You can um, there's various ways you can come play a four ball. You know it's only like 450 and a player, so it's, it's it's very cheap. It's very nice, and it's for a for a worthy cause. You know, and so so I believe um, if we can get more businesses involved. We've, we've sold some of the, the holes already, but there's, there's still the majority is still available. And we have some four balls available still. So we want to encourage businesses, people that, that, that are playing golf. You know, it's not just about playing the 
of it's about networking with other people and at the same time making a difference in your community as well. Awesome, Freddie. So listeners, there you have it, an opportunity for you to get involved uh, in the golf day as well as the winner car competition to support people against substance abuse and the work that they do in the Western Cape. Thank you so much, Freddie, for availing yourself for an interview this evening and for sharing your testimony and uh, for reminding us to choose life. I would really like to just, that for me just summarizes everything that you've said. You know, we can choose life or we can choose death as well in the decisions that we make. And that's the basis yes. of the program that you actually offer to not only the young people in the schools um, that, that you run this program in, but to the community in general. And a reminder to us this evening, dear listeners, to choose life. Thank you so much, Freddie, and I wish you all the best, you and your team, with your initiatives. Thank you very much. All right, I'm going to Can close I just leave a, I just, Sure, I go just ahead. Wanna, uh, uh, we, we, we recently launched a new WhatsApp number, um, specifically for PASA. So if people want to um, maybe order tickets for the winner car competition, um, they can WhatsApp us on 068. 4874847487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487487